You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Inches to go. Debater. 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front. Dyer begins the count. Takes the snap. He's got the quarterback. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com and today's show is brought to you by fertile ground ranch discipleship ministry they were birthed out of the burton to help those in the community and congregations who come out of a difficult past and an addictive lifestyle uh, we are giving away a paul horning autographed jersey uh, green uh, the green home jersey beckett style from pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity and um, all that good stuff and if you'd like to enter yourself into that contest all you got to do is go to my twitter page at Packers underscore access. There will be a tweet pinned at the top of the page. Just make sure you retweet that tweet and follow the account. That'll enter you into the contest one time. And then if you want to enter yourself into the contest multiple times, you'll see another tweet that's attached to that, uh, that pinned tweet uh, by Ryan uh, uh, Schlipp with, uh, you know, uh, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministries link. You click on that link and you can actually donate to that awesome cause. For every $5 you donate, That'll enter you into the contest one additional time, so you can uh, you know give yourself a little bit better chance of winning the uh, the Golden Boy autographed jersey. Now, I want to apologize. Obviously, you could probably tell the voice is a little weak. We're on day four of the uh, of the flu here in the in the Bailey uh, compound, so been a little bit rough. Um, we uh, we're we're muscling through, but I apologize if I sound like I'm nine years old. Okay, and uh, a little bit of a fever, so. We're going to push through. We're going to do this. We got this. We'll get through it together. So um, we've got a pretty cool show today. We actually did an interview yesterday that I'm going to play right here off the bat with uh, Ellie Leonard. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Ellie is a uh, an author, and she's actually worked on uh, several different film projects. Uh, really, really awesome lady. She, uh, you know, we got kind of uh, linked up on Twitter had a great conversation, and I found out, like I said, she's an author, film, media transcriber, um, just a, a lady that's very, very busy, and she actually, through conversations with her, I found out she actually worked on the Packers Legacy documentary, which is really, really cool. Um, you know, as you guys know, I reference that documentary all the time because it's become kind of the go-to for resources when talking about the history of the Green Bay Packers, and and like I mentioned in our conversation uh, that, that you'll hear here in just a second, you know, Cliff Crystal's uh, 
an idol of mine. I, I love the guy to death. He's uh, I've never got a chance to meet him, but just just you know, hearing him speak and hearing his passion for the Packers, and more importantly, his passion for getting the history of the Packers accurate. Right? Um, sometimes the full story isn't exactly what Packer fans want to hear, you know, or, or, you know, I I know me personally, there was things that I learned about the history of the Packers where I'm like, Oh man, I didn't realize that. That's, that's kind of sad, but it's important to tell the entire story, especially in today's society where things get so, uh, so biased and, and, you know, narratives get, get, you know, rewritten and, and, you know, kind of the facts get jumbled up with, you know, like, like the old saying, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, right? That seems to be the modern day that we live in. And what I love about Cliff Crystal is he he tells the story just straightforward. He wrote a four-volume um, book series that's called The Greatest Story in Sports. I uh, highly recommend you pick that up at Packers.com. It is absolutely phenomenal. I, I go, you know, I find myself here at the house sometimes. I'm a little bored. I'll just pick up one of those volumes and just uh, dive into it. And there's just story after story, pictures that have never been seen before, just does an excellent job. But um, when I found out that they were doing this documentary, and like I told Ellie in this interview, you know, I didn't I've, – I've seen so many documentaries on the Green Bay Packers, and, and 90% of the time they're only an hour long, definitely less than two hours long. And there's no way that you can tell over 100 years of history in that short amount of time, right? So there's so many stories that get left out. So what I love about the legacy documentary is they break it down. I believe it's into it's like at least seven, maybe even ten episodes, whatever it is. It's it's you know multitude of episodes, and they take the time to to do the story justice, right? And when we got to talking on Twitter and found out that she was a part of that documentary, I was like, man, we got to get her on the show, even for just a couple of minutes, right? Um, just want to kind of, you know, hear her side of the story and how she got involved with the project. And, uh, it's pretty cool. I don't want to ruin the interview. It's, it's very quick here. Uh, it's just about a 10 minute interview, but she's going to kind of, you know, tell her story and, and really the result of working on that documentary, which is really, really cool. So let's waste no time. Um, let's jump right into that. When we get back on the other side though, um, we're going to cover playoff scenarios for the Packers. And then uh, we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit more about Jair Alexander. We got some emails flowing in about Jair Alexander, and then we're going to talk about some offensive stats and kind of where some of the players here on the uh, on the Packers' uh, offensive side of the ball kind of stack up across the league. But let's go ahead and, uh, without further ado, whatever that means, let's uh, let's get to the interview with uh, Miss Ellie Leonard on the podcast now, Miss Ellie Leonard, and um, she had the uh, the privilege of working on one of my favorite documentaries of all time. And uh, it's really exciting to have you on here, Ellie, because, uh, you know, Packers legacy documentary. I've watched so many documentaries on the Green Bay Packers being a huge Packer fan. And I I always came away going, there's no way you can fit this entire story into one hour. And everybody always tried to do it. And when I seen the legacy project kind of uh, come to, I was like, man, this is absolutely awesome. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, before we get into that stuff, though, I, I did want to ask you, you know, obviously we're going to get into your experience working on the Packers Legacy documentary. But um, first, let's kind of cover the important things. It's my understanding mm-hmm. that you're a mother, according to your Twitter bio. How many children do you have, Ellie? We have four kids. Our youngest is three and our oldest is 11. Oh, my gosh. What fun ages, too. Yes, that is- yes. Absolutely awesome. And and you guys, are you located in Wisconsin or outside of Wisconsin? No, we're actually located just south of Missoula, Montana. Oh, wow. 
a beautiful country out there. Yes. Absolutely yes. gorgeous. Love it. Love it. So let me ask you this. How did you get introduced to the project that would become legacy 100 years of the Green Bay Packers? Because it's my understanding you've been doing um, kind of freelance work since 2011. Is that right? Yeah. So I, um, I started out as a freelance transcriber. So that's somebody who types up interviews for documentaries or podcasts or sometimes research projects, sometimes a little bit of journalism. And um, so I did that freelance for a while. And one of my original clients was a company called Archetype, which was a film company out of Green Bay. And then they transferred into becoming the Chrome Agency, which is who inevitably put on the legacy documentary. And so I'd been working with them probably since maybe 2015, 2016. And then this project started, I believe in 2017 is when the interviews started rolling in for this project. And then it was a couple of years of interviews. I think I counted, there was something like 134 different interviews that they poured into this project, which is, if you think about each one being about an hour, maybe, maybe longer, it's a lot, a lot of talking. So I learned a lot, which was great. But yeah, I was really, really happy to be a part of the project. That is awesome. I'm always amazed at, you know, especially critics, you, you know, whether it's a movie, a documentary, a book, mm -hmm. what have you, you know, you get the finished product and they're so quick to try to pick things apart and they don't right. even take into consideration the time that goes in. And when you hear about mm -hmm. some movies, it's like, my goodness, this thing's been in works for 20 years. I know the, right. the Kurt Warner story, uh, underdog, when I found out just how long that, you know, film mm -hmm. took was just amazing. So right. I know there's a lot of work that goes in behind it. I'm a big Cliff Crystal fan and mm -hmm. he wrote the, uh, you know, the book, uh, the four volume series right. there, the greatest story in, in sports. And, and as soon as I started seeing him on the early episodes of mm -hmm. uh, Legacies documentary, I was like, oh yeah, this is right down my alley. So I'm a, I'm a huge Cliff Crystal fan. Right. I, yeah. I, he played a big part. Yeah, did you get to meet him by chance? Or? No, I don't really meet anybody. Um, I'm I'm very um, I work virtually, so a lot of it is just sent to me, and then I mm -hmm. type it up and I send it back. Every so often, I'll get a name drop in there, which is a good day. Um, <laughs> I worked <laughs> on one of the the ESPN thirty for thirties about the um, Wrigley Field lights when they put in the lights in Wrigley Field. Yeah. And um, one of the coaches was Lee Elia, and he was a coach on the Mariners, and I grew up with the Mariners, and I got a little name drop in there somewhere, and I just remember it was it was a great day, but I don't <laughs> usually get to meet anybody. I'm usually pretty far away. That is awesome, though. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you hear a lot of times how, um, you know, when people go in and they work on projects like this, they come out and they're kind of changed. You know, it's like they didn't maybe have a, a perspective they had going in or, or what have you, but... Um, you know, as you went into this project and, and helping them with it, when you came out the other side, um, how were you changed from a personal standpoint? Like, did you, obviously you learn a ton about the Green Bay Packers, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, did you come away with like a, a little bit better respect for, you know, the history? Just kind of tell me, yes. tell me your personal experience yes. there. Well, most definitely. So I came into this project kind of, I think the first time I got my feet wet this with this was actually they were working on a Jackie Nitschke project who is the wife of Ray Nitschke and then that became working on a Hall of Fame project and then that became the Packers legacy documentary so I kind of got these baby steps into the history and then once we went to that and um you know Cliff Crystal was in there um I don't want to mess up her name, but Mary Jane Huber, I believe she's, she's the former girlfriend of Curly Lambeau, but yes. she's also a historian. She works at the library, like all these historians stepped in and started talking about the history of town teams and how Green Bay was the only one that was left. And the, and the major reason that they lasted 
being a small town NFL team was because they became fan owned. And so they had all these stock sales and they didn't have a lot. Like they started, I think in 1923 and they they've had six over since 1923. So in like a hundred years, right? Six stock sales. And so while I was kind of listening to the history and listening to all this and getting really excited about it, they had said that the last stock sale was in 2011. And I thought, gosh, if they ever, ever do a stock sale again, I'm going to get myself a share of Green Bay Packers stock. And so last Christmas, <clears throat> they did another stock sale. And I told my husband, I said, that's what I want. That's what I want for Christmas. I want one share of Green Bay Packers. And so now I've got my nice plaque for the wall. And I said, I don't want anybody's name on it except for me. <laughs> I want it to be my stock. And so, yeah, so I've got my one piece of football memorabilia. And that's that's probably the biggest change, biggest takeaway. That is so cool. You know, it's like I was telling you offline um, as we were chatting, uh, you know, I, I became a Packer fan in 03 and I kept hearing the stories of historic Lambeau Field and the history of the Green Bay Packers. And 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 I didn't have a favorite pro team at the time. I kind of pulled for the Steelers because my brother, my big brother was kind of my hero. You know, he was in and out of the military and and he uh, he absolutely loved the Steelers. So I kind of followed along with them. But I happened to be in a Best Buy store one day and I, and I found a DVD box set, the history of the Green Bay Packers. I'm like, I'm going to get that and see what the big hoopla is, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, I watched that documentary and it was like, I think it was two or three days later, uh, my girlfriend and I, who's my wife now, um, at the time, you know, we were just dating. We ended up all the way in Green Bay, Wisconsin, halfway across mm-hmm. the country, watching the Packers and the Bears play. And, and I've sure. just fell in love ever since. And, you know, on that documentary, that opening episode, I've seen the whole thing several times, mm-hmm. but that opening episode, I bet I've watched it 50 times because right. I watched it today. <laughs> yeah. It just tells that the, the, the origins, right. The story of mm-hmm. Curly Lambeau. And, and like you mm-hmm. say, it being a town team. And I love how they talked about really the Packers were birthed out of the love for, um, for high school football and the, the rivalry right. between East and West. Yep. And, Gosh, it was unbelievable. It's just, it's everything that's great about, about our country for sure. And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah, there's just this, uh, this mystique around it. And it's absolutely awesome. And, and I know when we connected on Twitter, I got really, really excited. When you told me that I went, no way. <laughs> and it's so cool how you meet people that it's such right. a small world. Makes it a, yeah. It makes it a much smaller world for sure. Yeah. There was one other story and I'm going to let you go. This was really cool. Okay, sure. Um, I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. And I was running a uh, carpet cleaning and restoration business for a couple friends of mine. And I was young. I was like 19 years old. And we were getting ready to go to Green Bay, uh, my girlfriend and I at the time. And mm-hmm. and I went into this this lady's uh, apartment. She was an, an elderly lady, super sweet. And she said, yeah, you, you know, the owner, Steve, the guy who owned the business, she said, I talked to him on the phone. And he said, you're going on vacation after this job. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'm, I'm actually heading to Wisconsin. She said, what part of Wisconsin? And I said, Green Bay. And I'm thinking she don't know anything about football. You know, she probably doesn't care less. She said, I actually went to a football game there one time. And I went, really? And she said, yeah. I said, that's why I'm going. She says, yeah, my first husband, she said, I went to a football game with him up there. It was New Year's Eve and it was so cold. And she went, she went through this big spill about it. Mm-hmm. And the whole time she's explaining to me that she was at the ice bowl. The ice she, bowl. That's what I was going to say. She had no clue. It was like this world famous game. And I said, are you telling me that you were there in 1967 on New Year's Day, right, for the ice ball? And she went, I don't know if it was called that. I just know my husband was really mad because I made him leave at halftime. It was so cold. (laughs) (laughs) I was cracking up. I was like, this is unbelievable. So we joke around here. 
well, I don't joke about this. My uncle jokes about this, that the perfect football weather is a blizzard and 11 degrees. That's yeah. like perfect grizzly football weather. People love it. They love to be cold when they watch football. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it just gives you a reason to eat more than you should. I think right? it's, it's a big reason. Yeah. So um, we're actually heading up uh, this this coming uh, Wednesday, we're flying up and going up to watch the Rams play. And we we specifically picked the coldest game we possibly could. Of course, yep. we're from Tennessee. You can probably tell by the accent. But we uh, we were like, you know what? We're going to get indoor seats, though. We're, we we want to be around the cold, but we don't want to be in the cold. So that's, right. that's how we're right. rolling up there. But, well, good. Um, is there anything, Ellie, that you would like to uh, maybe plug before we get off here? Any projects you're working on or anything you can get out there? I know this was a favor for me. I really appreciate mm-hmm. your time, but is yeah, there anything no you can do for you? Well, I mean, I, I, so my, my work's a little strange. I can't necessarily talk about the stuff that I'm working on because I'm pretty clamped down to a lot of NDAs. But um, one of the bigger projects that just got released is actually that um, Harry and Meghan special that just came out on Netflix. And so that just, I think, dropped yesterday. And that's, so that's kind of a big deal that everybody's sort awesome. of into. But it, it was a pretty cool project. That was a lot of fun to work on. Absolutely. Great. Great. Well, I certainly appreciate your time, Ellie. It's always a pleasure to speak to uh uh, fellow, uh, you know, stockholders, right? And, uh, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that 2011 stock sale. My wife surprised me with that uh, that year, and then we just got one this next year. So we both mm-hmm. hold the uh, same year stock. That's really, really cool. But um, yeah, again, thank you so much for taking time. I know you're uh, a busy lady there with four kids and, uh, and all the work <laughs> you're doing. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. All right. Really hope you guys enjoyed that, man. It was awesome getting to talk to her and just an amazing woman, like I said, raising, raising four small uh, children and, um, and doing all the work on the side and, uh, and everything that she did for the Packers legacy documentary is, uh, is pretty, pretty remarkable, man. It's just, it's so cool that when you learn how to use the mute button and you learn how to block certain people and you cut all the negative out of social media, um, and when I say negative, I don't mean people that disagree with you. I mean, people who are rude, people who want to, you know, just just jump in there and troll. And, and you could just tell right off the bat, the only time they tweet is when there's something negative to say. And it's it's been eye opening for me that there's as many Packer fans as there are on Twitter that are so negative at times. But um, you, you come across when you when you learn to mute people like that and focus on the positive, you come across uh, people like Ellie Leonard. And um, it's really awesome just to be able to connect and uh, and find those uh, those things that you have in common and, and learn other people's stories and and how now she's a, a Packer shareholder. I just think that is absolutely awesome. So really, really cool stuff. But let's get into uh, playoff scenarios real quick. Uh, Zach Cruz actually tweeted this out. Um, on Twitter, you can find him at, at Zach, Z-A-C-H-K-R-U-S-E-2, okay, Zach Cruz 2. And he tweeted out some uh, a little bit of playoff scenario here for the Packers. You know, we're kind of backs against the wall. I don't think anybody hearing my voice right now um, has a large expectation for the Packers uh, to make the playoffs. However, if they did, I think that would be absolutely awesome, right? You never know. Once you, If you give yourself a chance – then uh, you never know. We learned that back in 2010, right, with the the Packers going on that Super Bowl run. And I'm probably going to get a lot of tweets going, you're crazy, thinking that that it's possible they could do the same thing. Guys, I remember that year. I remember how many people went on injured reserve. I remember halfway through the season going, this just ain't the year, man. It ain't going to happen this year. There ain't no way. we just missing too many pieces. Excuse me. Missing too many pieces on the front side. And then coming out the back side, there's so many other injuries. You know, it's just the team ain't there. 
And what happened? They got hot and they were road warriors. They went on the road and beat Philly, they went on the road and beat Chicago. They went, you know, uh, I think actually on the road and beat Atlanta as well in, in between those two games and um, obviously uh, handled their business there in the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, to the best of my knowledge, was the number one defense in the league that year, right? If someone told you right now, if the Packers snuck in to the playoffs with nine wins or whatever it may be, right, and you had to face the number one defense in the Super Bowl, do you think they're winning? You would laugh at them, right? As would anyone anyone else would have laughed at Packer fans or anybody for saying that back in 2010, right? But with that being said, it's a very, very slim chance they get in. But let's talk about the scenario here. First of all, what Zach Cruz says here on Twitter is the Packers have to go 4-0, and right? They have to go 4-0. and They have to beat the L.A. Rams at the Miami Dolphins, the Minnesota Vikings at home, and the Detroit Lions at home. So three of those four are at home. Now, Baker Mayfield come out and provided the L.A. Rams with a little bit of a spark. Um, I don't think we could uh, <clears throat> overlook them this week. Now, granted – Derek Carr gave uh, gave them every chance in the world to get back in that game, right, turning the ball over. But we've also seen Aaron struggle this year, um, turning the ball over at times. It's, it's hilarious. He's only got nine interceptions, but we're so used to him going an entire season with just, you know, three or four interceptions that when he has nine, it's like, whoa, what's wrong, right? Um, and we, we're not going to have another conversation about what is wrong. I think we all agree now that the injury is pretty significant, and uh, he's kind of having a down year. You combine those two things together, and that's how you get to the statistical realm that we're in right now. But, again, with the L.A. Rams, I think the Packers have a good shot of winning that game, but it's no slam dunk, right? At Miami, it's probably the toughest of these four, simply because Minnesota is going to be at Lambeau, and you get a little bit you know, a little bit of a spark there, a little bit better chance, especially with them being used to playing in the Dome and then coming into cold Lambeau. Um, you know, you never know what can happen there. And then, of course, Detroit beat us earlier in the year on the road. So they come into Lambeau. Just got to take it one game at a time. And that was that's what was so cool about the 2010 Packers. And, again, I'm not trying to say that the Packers are going to go on a Super Bowl run here, guys. Please hear me out. I'm just drawing a few parallels. I love looking back in history. If you guys follow me on Twitter, you know I probably bore you to death. You probably already muted me on Twitter with all the historical stuff that I tweet out. But it's just something I'm passionate about. Um, but, again, when a team – when your when your back's against the wall and you kind of go on a run, right? It, it it creates momentum, right? And obviously, momentum's created in the moment. Period. Case closed. And you know why do some teams have great years like the Packers have the last few years and they flop right at the end? It's because they peak at the wrong time, right? And I know that sounds silly because you you never you don't want to be at your peak performance, but we've seen it time and time again. We've seen in the past where where teams will actually you know sit their players. And they'll have all this momentum. They'll sit their players, take a loss, and then next thing you know, they get in the playoffs. You think, okay, they're just going to return to form, and, and they don't have that spark anymore. They lost that momentum, right? It's all about peaking at the right time and carrying that momentum through the postseason. And if the Packers were to win four straight games, right, and make it to the playoffs, and, again, that doesn't guarantee we're going to talk about the other things that have to happen, you've got that momentum, and you never know what's going to happen, right? So, again, though, you got to take it one game at a time. And, uh, and it's kind of what I was getting at is when you have to take it one game at a time, every single week is a playoff game. Guys, that's exactly what we're in right now. Every week is a playoff game. Should have been like that the last the, the last two weeks leading into these final four, but, you know, it is what it is. Now, we got to have some help, too. We need the commanders, the Washington commanders, to go one and four, okay? They face the Giants, the San Francisco 49ers, the Cleveland Browns, and the Dallas Cowboys, okay? Three of those teams are really solid. Cleveland, you got a question mark around. 
right? So if if they lose three of those four, okay, if they go one and four, let's see here. Actually, it's yeah, one, two, three, four. I don't know why it says one and four. I guess it would be one and three. But uh yeah, he's got them beating the Giants, losing to Sam Fran, um, and L at Sam Fran, and then uh Cleveland versus Dallas. Cleveland and Dallas, I'm sorry. So he's saying the commanders have to go one and four. It's a little bit confusing because if you went one and four, that means you played five games. He's only listing four games here, if I'm looking at it correctly. So, yeah. Um, but, again, he's saying one and four uh, for them. The Giants need to go one and four, which means it's funny you got the commanders and the Giants both having to go one and four, according to Zach Cruz. And with that being the case, then those two games have to kind of coincide with each other, seeing that it's the same team that you're talking about, right? But they have uh, Indy, Philly, Washington, Minnesota, and Philly. Okay, so they actually have five games listed there for them. So one and four for them. And then the Panthers need to lose one game. If that happens, Packers go 4-0, and Commanders 1-4, and Giants 1-4, and and the Panthers lose one game, the Packers will clinch a playoff berth. Okay, so that's kind of what we're looking at. Now, you can see it's it's somewhat of a long shot, right? But there is a chance that they do make the playoffs. This is why Aaron Rodgers is still starting. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are still upset about it, and I get it. You know, you, some people, you know, just want to tank for picks. And I personally think it's silly, but I respect your opinion. Like, I don't, I don't understand how you still have playoff hopes. Could you imagine if they started tanking last week, right? And they just said, all right, look, we're pulling the starters. We're going to play our young guys, and we start losing, right? And then this scenario unfolded where they look up in, in the next to last week, and the media would be all over LaFleur, all over Goody, all down Mark Murphy's back, and it would be, you guys could have made the playoffs, and you gave up, you know, five weeks out. That's exactly what the narrative would be, right? And, again, I understand what Ryan's saying at times when he's when he's talking about, you know, tanking doesn't mean you're going out to lose. It means we're going to start our young guys and get them experience. I completely agree with that. The second we're eliminated, I think that should be the shift of focus. I think Aaron should go to IR and uh, and let him rest up, get the surgery he needs so he can make a decision as quick as possible if, he, if indeed he does want to come back next year, which I do think he is. Um, and then you kind of get Jordan Love showcased a little bit out there and um, – that makes me a little nervous because he's either going to raise his price, although we do have the the fifth-year option in our back pocket in case Aaron does retire after next year, then you can just slap the fifth-year option on. But you've got to know that coming into next year. We kind of covered that on the last podcast. But, um, yeah. But speaking of that, let's talk about statistics real quick, okay? And I just want to take a, a quick glance at these statistics because, you know, we've talked about PFF grades all year long, right? We've, we've covered pretty much it from top to bottom. We've talked about every position. We've talked about who's played good, who's played bad. We've talked about where we think positions and needs may uh, may come into play as soon as the season's over and, and what you might want to do in free agency or even looking to build through the draft, all those things, right? We didn't look at it from a statistical standpoint. And I'm not getting into advanced metrics here. I just wanted to look at traditional stats and just kind of see where people stacked up, okay? So let's start with passing. Aaron Rodgers, yardage-wise, he comes in 12th in the league with 2,864 yards, okay? Just outside of the top 10 in yardage, although I think we would all agree. To me, yardage, it's more about uh, points per play than it is yardage. You know, yardage can, can make things very skewed. You know, like the Raiders the other night, you know, going all the way down the field, getting inside the five, turning the ball over. You came away with no points. 
But if you just went strictly off yardage, you would think, oh, wow, they're lighting it up, right? And that's why that stuff's important to to kind of note. Yard, yards are important. Don't get me wrong. Yards per game, total yards per game per team is is very important statistic and, and being able to acknowledge that a team's able to move the ball. But it really comes down to scoring points, right? So yardage-wise, Aaron Rodgers is 12th in the league right now in passing. Let's go to touchdown passes. Touchdown passes, uh, Aaron Rodgers comes in fifth with 22, okay? You got Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Geno Smith, and Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers is tied for the most – yeah, tied for the most touchdown passes in the NFC with Geno Smith, who's having kind of a MVP caliber year. You know, Geno, if you if you hop back again to statistics, Geno is sixth in yards. So – Aaron Rodgers and Geno Smith are the two top quarterbacks in the NFC. And again, in the entire NFL, Aaron is fifth in touchdown passes with 22. Now, um, interceptions. Uh, Aaron has nine interceptions. Let's put that into perspective. The the quarterbacks who have more touchdown passes than Aaron Rodgers this year, Geno Smith has six interceptions. Uh, you know, he and Aaron both have 22 touchdowns. Geno has six interceptions. Aaron has nine. You go up one more slot. Josh Allen has 25 touchdown passes. He's thrown 11 interceptions, guys, um, which has kind of been the M.O. when it comes to Josh Allen. He turns the ball over a lot because he plays a very wild style. He gives you those highlight reels. He can be a game breaker, completely change every aspect of, of the game, you know, from a from a win uh, a loss column to a win column, right? Um, but he does turn the ball over, plays a little reckless. That doesn't even include his fumbles, but uh, 11 interceptions off 25 touchdown passes. At number two, you got Joe Burrow at 25 touchdown passes. He's got eight interceptions. Patrick Mahomes, 30 touchdowns with eight interceptions. Right now, I believe Patrick Mahomes is your MVP. I think it's pretty much um, in the books there, in my opinion. I mean, you could you could argue that that other quarterbacks are having just as good a season, but, I mean, five more touchdown passes than everyone else and uh, only eight interceptions. So, again, just wanted to kind of put that into perspective. Aaron Rodgers is fifth in the NFL with touchdown passes. Let's go to uh, rating, okay? The quarterback rating, and I don't—I personally don't like QBR. I, you know, I've talked in the past about how ESPN kind of drummed up the QBR, and, and I'm more of the quarterback rating guy. So uh, we're going to go with it. And uh, QB rating, Aaron Rodgers is 13th. That's the number that's really low, and we've seen his accuracy's been off, right? Completion percentage has been off. Um, you've seen a lot of wobblers this year, and to me, it, it, it's a telltale sign that it's the thumb, right? If he was throwing tight spirals and inaccurate, I would be like, okay, man, he's just he's lost that accuracy. But when the ball comes out wobbly, especially from a quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers who throws those tight spirals so consistently, that's when you know, okay, the accuracy issue is coming from from the thumb, the injured thumb, and that gives me a lot of hope for next year. If they were coming out in tight spirals. I would be going, ah, maybe he's uh, maybe he's losing his timing. Maybe something, you know, maybe he is starting to regress. But, again, the wobbling aspect of the ball is what gives me a lot more hope in uh, the fact that he'll return closer to that that top three quarterback form next year if that uh, the thumb is surgically repaired. So, again, he comes in at 92.4. He's 13th in the league, still right there on the cusp of being a top 10 quarterback. So, um We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones 
And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I, that's the way I kind of see that quarterback position. If if you can come out here and 100% tell me that Jordan Love will beat Aaron Rodgers in those statistics, if you tell me that Jordan Love at this point would have um, you know more touchdown passes than Aaron Rodgers, more than Aaron Rodgers is 22, and no more than his nine interceptions, then I would say, you know what, man, Let's, I'm cool with moving on to Jordan Love. I'm not saying you should kick Aaron Rodgers out the door, but I'm – I'm I'm still a little hesitant on on handing the reins over to Jordan Love because we don't know if he's the guy. And when I say we guys, I mean us, the fans. We don't know. I don't know. I think the coaching staff knows. Goody said it in the presser the other day. We've seen enough to make a decision on his fifth year option. He didn't say whether he was going to pick it up. He didn't say he wasn't going to pick it up. Right. But he said they've seen enough to make that decision. Although the more the more time you get to evaluate him, the better. Right. So. Um, I think their mind is made up, so it really doesn't matter what he's going to do in a game at this point. I mean, if you thrust him out there into the game and David Bakhtiari isn't playing because of the, the emergency surgery he had, he's coming in with a backup left tackle, obviously this young receiving core, what if he falls flat on his face? Now, most people hear my voice and go, well, you just move on and get somebody else in the draft. Me, from, a, from an evaluation standpoint, I'm sitting back going, did we get a true evaluation of him? I mean, it's not like he has a solid roster built around him right now. Christian Watson is emerging. Don't get me wrong. We should have Dobbs back next Monday against the Rams. All those things are positive. But the tight ends have played horrible, according to PFF, according to statistics too. That's what cracks me up when people go – when they when they go against PFF, I immediately go, oh, man, well, he must – maybe they did miss it. Let's go look at the statistics. You go look at the statistics, it's like, why do you think he's doing good? And I got to be honest, guys – there's a lot of people out there that are going to bat for Josiah DeGuara like, oh, no, PFF, he, he's had a great year. PFF doesn't understand. I just don't see it. I haven't seen him stretch the field. And, and a lot of people are going, well, he's an H-back. I get it. Okay. Okay, he's an H-back. So so what what have you seen that makes you think he's so good? Because all I've seen him out is in leak routes. Now, in blocking, I've seen him sift, play, done decent. But I've also seen him crawling around on the ground a lot, trying to do those sift blocks, trying to get to the next level. I think he's, I think his PFF grade is pretty accurate. If I remember correctly, it's in like the the lower to mid sixties because he's been inconsistent, and that's okay. Next year he may break out, and I hope he does. Right? I think he's kind of cut from that fabric you want of a Green Bay Packer player. But at the same time, I kind of pump the brakes on Josiah Aguara because I hear a lot of people getting excited about him, and I'm like, I don't, I haven't seen that quite yet, but. 
I mentioned that because if you throw Jordan Love out there, the tight ends have played horrible. The offensive line and the running games played bad. They've been pretty good pass blocking. And then, of course, you got, you know, this young receiving crew, right? And, and again, we got to kind of curb the enthusiasm that that, that touchdown pass – we got to take into consideration. I know Slay, uh, Big Play Slay, called it a, a slant. I thought it was going to be kind of a climb or a shallow crosser. Um, regardless, guys, it was it was like a seven yard pass that Watson took to the house, and and that was his job. That's what he was supposed to do. He being Jordan Love, right? He threw a great timing route on the on the boundary there to Lazard, right on an out route. Um, there's a lot of things he did good, but we got to kind of, you know, if you throw him out there with this roster and he flops. I'm using quotation flops. Are you truly getting a good evaluation of Jordan Love? So we just got to kind of take that into consideration. If they do shut Aaron down, here's what I'm going to try to is what I'm trying to say, and then I'll move on. If they do shut Aaron down and Jordan goes out there and it looks quote unquote bad, don't be surprised if they still pick up the fifth year option if Rodgers tells them in the offseason, hey, 2023 is going to be my last year, or if they decide to extend him. There's going to be – could you imagine? Everybody's going to go haywire. Oh, my God, you see how bad he played? This is horrible. This is our starting quarterback. Like, they've seen they've seen Jordan and everything they need to see um, in practice, in the offseason, running the program in the offseason, those type of things. I think that stuff's more valuable than mop-up duty against the Philadelphia Eagles um, and then anything he may do the rest of the year. Um, I hope he is the guy. I really do. And I'm leaning toward he is just – just judging how Gudikins talked about, yeah, we've seen enough to make the decision on the fifth-year option. I kind of felt like that was a positive comment, not a negative. So I think Jordan may be the guy, and it's going to be really cool if we can bridge that gap from Aaron to him. I think that's awesome. And there's no reason to continue to create division, guys. Like, there's some people hearing my voice right now. They're going, Jordan Love would be a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. Put him in. And there's others going, this is silly. There's no way Jordan Love could, could you know – fill the shoes of Aaron Rod. Nobody's asking him to. But why does it got to be negative on both sides? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, we'll find out soon enough if he is the guy, right, period, case closed. And and when we do, if he isn't the guy and he can't live up to the expectations, then you set another plan, you know, moving forward. If he is the guy, you build the roster out around his strengths, like every great organization, every great general manager has ever done, and you move forward. It's that simple. Um all right, let's move on to rushing leaders. Um, I'm going to mention yards, although total yards, you know, like rushing yards aren't that important to me as an overall number because a lot of teams, you know, run a running back by committee type thing, right? And uh, I, to me, the more important stats are yards per attempt, okay? So, but I'm going to lead off with just total yards. And uh, in rushing yards, if you go down the list here, Aaron Jones is 11th in the league with 847 rushing yards, okay? If you slide down to 23rd, it's A.J. Dillon, okay? So Aaron Jones comes in 11th with 847 yards. A.J. Dillon comes in 23rd with 624 yards. Now let's go to the more important statistic, which is yards per attempt. In yards per attempt, if you remove the quarterbacks, okay, and I'm going to try to do this in an orderly fashion here, the top three rushing leaders as far as yards per attempt are quarterbacks. Let's remove those three guys, okay? You have uh, Khalil Herbert who in Chicago who's only got 108 attempts, but still he's averaging six yards a carry. Then you've got Tony Pollard is number two at 5.8. Brees Hall is number three at 5.8. 
or tied for tied for second, I should say. And then you got to skip a quarterback, and you got number three, uh, Travis Etienne. Um, he's five point four. Then Josh Jacobs at five point two. Nick Chubb at five point two, and Aaron Jones comes in at five point two. So to put that into perspective, even if you include the quarterbacks, Aaron Jones is tied for ninth in the league in yards per attempt at 5.2. Aaron Jones has pretty much averaged five yards a carry his entire career. That's truly remarkable. I mean, it really is. Um, averaging 5.2 a carry is is pretty pretty awesome. Now, he's only got two rushing touchdowns. This is going to spark a huge debate. Everybody's going to say, well, we've, we've thrown way too much inside to five. I would agree with that. I would. But at the same time, there's reads in this offense that need to take place, and the decision was made, um, you know, leading up to the game each Sunday. It wasn't just Aaron trying to be cute at times, although there was some of that. This is, you know, the early RPO aspect. The RPO aspect of this offense early in the season is what led to those touchdown numbers being down a touch. Now, let's slide on down and see where A.J. Dillon comes in yards per carry. He comes in 30th at 4.4 yards per carry. Still a pretty solid uh, yard per carry there, and he has three rushing touchdowns. So that's kind of how they stack up. So with the important statistics here, uh, the more important statistics in my opinion, you've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, he would be the seventh, actually tied for the fifth, best running back in the league at 5.2 yards per carry. And, of course, like I said, A.J. Dillon a little bit further down the list. And when you hear 4.4, you think that's good, right? And and it is pretty solid. But um, you can see that A.J. Dillon is having kind of that down year. And, and it's amazing. We're so used to Aaron Jones having such a solid year that when someone averages over four yards a carry as a running back, somehow we come out seeing it as a negative, right? It's amazing. So, you know, A.J. Dillon, I think next year – no, I apologize for that. Um, I think next year, A.J. Dillon, um, his uh, contract, if I remember correctly, is uh, – let's see. Next year would be his final year on his contract, and then we would have to think about an extension, and that's very, very important. There's a lot of people that believe Aaron Jones is going to be cut, released, whatever, to free up a ton of cap room this offseason. I personally think they're going to restructure his deal because Aaron Jones is the spark plug in this offense, right? I love Matt LaFleur snapping back at the media the other day. One of the media members, uh, now that Christian Watson has put together several games, right, back-to-back-to-back, to-back, I think, (laughs) as he's put these games together, the media has now went from Aaron Jones – needs to get the ball more to Christian Watson needs to get the ball more. It's funny how that works, right? And one of the media members asked Matt LaFleur, he said, do you, do you feel like with his production, you you need to get him the ball more? And and Matt LaFleur snapped back and said, yeah, and as soon as we do that, then you guys will be screaming, we got to get Aaron Jones the ball more. <laughs> so, you know, which is it, right? It's just funny how the media, how they have a short memory on what their opinion was two, three, four weeks ago, right? But I think you restructure that deal, you bring Aaron Jones back, you got A.J. Dillon back. But next year, maybe even this coming draft, you got to make a decision. Is A.J. Dillon the back of the future, right? Not that you want to tie a bunch of money up in that running back position. We all know that some of the most successful years that they had in Green Bay was because they had running backs on small contracts. I don't think they've ever paid, uh, you know, top top five, maybe not even top ten running back money until Aaron Jones. And I feel like they – 
they made that move because Aaron Jones is so effective in the passing game as well, right? So you got to you got to make that decision next year. Are you looking to draft a running back? Is is AJ Dillon going to be the running back of the future? Do you try to find another scat back? This is you know three four years from now when Aaron Jones is ready to retire because we know running backs age a little different, but. I want to see Aaron Jones back next year and, and for the foreseeable future. I think he's a, a great team leader and he's a, a solid running back. He just everything, everything you want on your team uh, to represent the Green Bay Packers. All right, let's move on to wide receivers. Um, you know, these statistics are a little bit rough. Let's start with total yards. Okay. And let's just kind of see where the first Packers receiver comes in uh, as far as, you know, just receiving yards. Alan Lazard at 620 yards and he has five touchdown catches. Okay. Let's slide on down and see if we can find the next one here. Hopefully I don't overlook any. These This font is very, very small. Let's slide on down, slide on down. The next one is Christian Watson at 72. He's got 401 receiving yards, okay? So how does that shake out as far as across the league with just yardage, right? And when you look at it, really what you got at 72 with Christian Watson is he's a number three receiver when it comes to yardage, right? Stacking up against everybody else, he would be in that number three group. If you if you if you were to just to pretend, and I'm not saying this is how I feel, but if you were just to pretend that yards were the only thing that matters, he would be a number three receiver, right? Now we know he's missed time, but again, availability and accountability are two of the most important abilities. So if someone hasn't been on the field, that needs to be factored in on on their caliber, you know, of the the caliber of player they are. What's cool is Christian Watson has come out and sparked such a buzz. Uh, coming out of the injuries that you're, you're seeing him kind of climb up into that number two category as far as yardage stats. And, and that's, that's kind of cool, right? He's, he's on the cusp of he's one or two, <clears throat> excuse me, big games away from kind of climbing into that realm, even with the, the injuries. And that says a lot. Alan, <clears throat> Alan Lazard coming in at 31. You guys can tell the voice is going. I apologize. This flu has kicked my rear end. Um, 31 with uh, 620 yards. He's, a, in my opinion, he's a number two receiver. He is. I thought he could be a number one receiver this year, and I think he's played okay. I think his PFF grade has him grading out right around 70. We know he's not coming back next year. But this is kind of laying out. You know, you, you could see why the passing game has been where it's at. We lost arguably the best wide receiver in the game, and it really shows. If we had Tay on this team, and, and again, I'm not saying that Goody should have re-signed Tay because it wasn't Goody's decision. Devontae Adams decided to walk. We all have acknowledged that now. He said he wanted to play in Vegas. Packers offered him more money than Vegas. Um, he still wanted to go play with Derek Carr. He made that decision. That's not on Goody, in my opinion. Maybe a mistake was made two years ago. Maybe it was. Maybe the way they treated him, they should have got the deal done earlier. That could be the case, um, unless you're – in those meetings with the agent and and Russ Ball and Brian Gutekunst, you know, how can anyone say definitively that that's true, right? But if he was on this team, you would have a number one, a number two, and one of the best number three receivers in the game. And I guarantee you the statistics look a lot different, even with Aaron Rodgers' injury. So there's a lot of things that's kind of come to a head. Let's go to receiving touchdowns. And this right here might even be the more important statistic than yardage for me because it's all about scoring points, right? And it's funny in the past I haven't looked at it that way. But, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. If you if you get a turnover and you looking to capitalize on a short field, then those touchdowns matter, right? Those touchdown statistics matter. They've got to be distributed somewhere, okay? So when you look at touchdowns, um, the first Green Bay Packer comes in at eight 
with Christian Watson, seven touchdown catches. Guys, think of the time that this guy's missed. Think of the time he's missed. And he's still in the top ten in receiving touchdowns. He's actually tied for fifth, technically. On this list, they got him listed as eight at the bottom. But he's tied for fifth with Tyler Lockett, Amari Cooper, Christian Kirk for um, seven touchdown catches this season. At number four is A.J. Brown with nine. At number three is Stephon Diggs with 10. And then you got Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey, who, of course, is a tight end, but they like to flex him out, do a, a lot of Y flex with him. Um, they both have 12. As a rookie, and he's only played in 10 games, and the rest of these guys, you know, have played in 12 and 13 games, right? He's only started seven games, Christian Watson. So you got to take that in consideration. Um, Trying to see about targets. Yeah, that's probably the better statistic to look at. Holy cow. Think about this. So with Devontae Adams, he's been targeted 142 times and has 12 touchdowns. Christian Watson has seven touchdowns. He's only been targeted 41 times. So let's double Christian Watson's targets, okay? Let's assume he didn't miss any time. Let's assume he started those other three games that he played in. And Let's say they just doubled. I'm not saying the 142 targets that Devontae Adams has. I'm not saying the 108 targets that Travis Kelsey had. I'm not even I'm not saying that the 128 targets that Stephon Diggs has. Let's just double it to 82. That means Christian Watson has 14 touchdowns, and he's leading the league by two. That's pretty cool, right? Let's go to yards per reception. You know, one of the things that in the past I didn't really care about before I started studying Bill Belichick and and reading War Room and, um, you know, uh, the uh, the other one, um, Football or Gridiron Genius, all those books. I always kind of looked at big plays are great, right? But if you go for big plays every down, then obviously you're going to put yourself in a bad position, and it's more about moving the chains and being effective, you know, on short downs and, and stuff like that. Um, but as I read those books and learning from Bill Belichick, their explosion plays are very, very important. They they feel very, very, very um, – they're very adamant about preaching and teaching within their team meeting rooms that we need explosive plays. We need big plays. You've got to have so many big plays per game if you're going to have a chance to win the game, right? And when you look at yards per reception, let's just go right down the list here. Gabriel Davis, 19. Devontae Parker, 19. Hark, that's New England. Funny, right? Uh, Corey, because that was their big offseason acquisition. Although he's not had a great year, he does provide those explosive plays, averaging 19 yards uh, per catch. Okay. Um, Corey Davis, 17.8. Okay. Let me make sure I get that. Yeah, it's, it's receiving yards per reception. Okay. Um, Corey Davis, 17.8. Uh, MVS, 17.8 out there in Kansas City. So, you know, we dogged MVS, although Lazard has more receiving yards than him. He he has kind of made those big plays. He's only got one touchdown, though. He's kind of stayed out of the end zone, but he is stretching the field out there and uh, playing that role for the uh, the current MVP leader in Patrick Mahomes. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, Darius Slayton, 17.2. Jalen Waddle, 17.1. And then Christian Watson at 16. So Christian Watson is seventh in the entire National Football League in yards per reception. It's pretty cool. Pretty stinking cool. And another cool statistic, if you slide over, Christian Watson has zero fumbles as well. So that's awesome. I mean, that's that's uh, that's really, really nice right there. So 
Um, just wanted to kind of cover that stuff. Of course, Christian Watson has a long of 63. Um, that was that catch there in Philly. If you've done that on the year, he comes in. See where he's at here. Got to be down here on the list somewhere. 20th. He's uh, tied for 20th with the, the longest passing play of the season. So you're seeing a guy who was drafted early in the second round um, performing as far as averages to be a, a number one wide receiver. He's starting to step into that that range now. And, and like Aaron has pointed out so many times, confidence is the big thing, right? Confidence is absolutely huge when it comes for uh, a young player and, and how he said, you know, they asked, what did you think of Christian Watson and this and that? And he said, I think Christian's a great case study for how one play can completely turn around a young player's career and the confidence that it builds making that one play. It's, uh, it's, it's a special thing. It's important, right? I think it's things that, like that that's looked over a lot by us fans, especially when we're watching it, a TV broadcast and you can't see everything that's going on in the field and you can't see that he's winning his routes. You can't see uh, whether he's losing his routes, um, you know, especially if you're in the stands and you're, you know, next to your your drunk uncle who's puking on the Bears fan, fans back in front of him, right? Like it's hard to pick up on these things. So I think it's important to – it's why I love Aaron Rodgers Tuesday. Um, I don't agree with everything that Aaron says. I could tell you right now, if Aaron was just an average Joe out there and he wasn't a, a you know, a world famous quarterback, he and I probably wouldn't hang out. We don't have a lot in common, but we're getting firsthand documentation every single week, um, for the most part. You know, with the exception of the bye week, where Pat McAfee was surprised that Aaron didn't come on the show this week, which is hilarious. But um, that's neither here nor there. Every single week, every Tuesday, we get to hear what's on the mind of one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. And, guys, it's it's not – you know, it it may tick you off that he goes on that podcast weekly. First of all, you don't have to watch. Like, there's a lot of things I don't enjoy. I don't put myself through the misery of forcing myself to to sit down or watch and listen to something that I don't enjoy. That's just silly. That's, that's literally the definition of insanity. Like, that you're going to keep doing the same thing that ticks you off every single week and then expect to feel different. Either that or you just want to complain. It's probably you just want to complain, but that's neither here nor there either. Um, but we we get firsthand knowledge. Whether you like that or not, there's going to be future fans of the NFL that are going to be able to, to go back and listen to what was going on in the mind of an MVP at that time during the MVP season. I mean, that, that guys, that's priceless. I remember when they did the a Football Life documentary on Bill Belichick. Everybody's like, I'm so sick of seeing the Patriots and Bill Belichick, blah, 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 blah. Guys, you can go back right now on YouTube and watch firsthand them follow Bill Belichick through a season and how he prepared and how he prepared his team and what was on his mind, the highs and the lows of him, you know, them not meeting expectations and him getting frustrated on, man, I just can't get this team to play where I need them to play. Like, we can go back at any point in the future, go back in time and relive that and learn from it and just understand how the story was written for the greatest coach of all time, right? And it's the same thing with Aaron Rodgers in these these interviews. I love him personally. Again, I don't agree with everything he says, but what kind of world do you want to live in where you agree with every single thing every other person thinks, says, or does, right? But I kind of compare it to imagine if we had a documentary that literally sat down – and interviewed Bart Starr 
every single week during, let's say, the 1962 season when they won uh, the championship, right? I think that was I think that was Lombardi's first championship, if I remember correctly. Let me look at the banner real quick. Yes, that's correct. So Lombardi's very – or actually 1961. Imagine if we could go back and we could listen to a weekly interview with Bart Starr in 1961. I would be all over that. Just hearing his mindset and what he did to prepare to win and make the good things that happened that week, the bad things that happened that week. And, and if he if he did – if he did, you know, include complete transparency like Aaron does in my opinion. Um, I don't know, man. I just think that's something that's – very valuable for for us Packer fans and future NFL fans that they can look back and kind of see, okay, what was going on in the MVP's mind. I think that's cool. So we're going to wrap up here. Um, we have one email come in from a listener, and this came in from Jake, and it was pretty straightforward. And he said, uh, hey, Clayton, love the pod as always. Just a quick question. Why are people defending Jair Alexander on the blown coverages? I heard your pod and completely agree with you. This just doesn't make sense to me, question mark. Um, yeah, I heard it too, Jake. And um, I'll tell you this, I, you know, I, I don't want to tell anybody how to fan. You know, there's enough of that going on. If you if you want to get your, your feel of um, people telling other people how they should you know, think or feel when it comes to the Green Bay Packers, just go on to Twitter. Everybody's got an opinion, and they seem to think everyone else's opinion is wrong. <laughs> but – I don't understand that either. I've seen a couple people saying, I don't think this was really his job or his responsibility. I think he was wrong here. You're not going to convince me otherwise. The the two blown coverages that I broke down, you know, you can say the the play got called in late. I heard several people say that, and it wasn't Jaw's fault, this and that. There was nobody else on that side of the field, and Josh Shore broke deep pretty quick, and it wasn't like – he was just, okay, I'm just playing an underneath route and I'm expecting help over the top. Never at any point did he look around like, where where was my help? He got burned. Like, guys, we got to call it what it is. I understand there's a lot of people that are big Jair Alexander fans. I, I'm one of them. But like Greg Cosell says, when you watch the tape, if you see it, you got to say it. If you see it, you've got to say it. Or else you're just drawing a false narrative for everyone else. And that's just, I'm sorry. I, you can do that. You're free to do that. But I'm hitting the mute button and I'm not watching any of your content because you're you're telling a story that's inaccurate, right? And a lot of times it turns into uh, I'm going to try to sound smarter than everyone else, and I just think that's silly. I really do. Um, yeah, I don't. I try not to dunk on people as as the the young crowd uses that phrasing, dunking on people. I try not to dunk on people, but when you jump in my mentions. And you get rude with me. You basically walked onto my front porch, knocked on the door, and said, "Hey, you're stupid. I'm gonna dunk on you. I'm sorry. It's gonna happen. <laughs> you're not gonna walk up to my house, dump trash on my head, and then expect me to be polite to you, right? Now, if you don't like that, here's a hint: don't climb in my mentions. Because if you tag me in a tweet and you get rude with me, I, you know I, I may say have a great day and mute you. That happens a lot, but." If you're going to climb into someone else's mentions, you don't get to play victim when you get dunked on. It's just the way it is, right? So, um, but yeah, I agree with you, Jake. I, I seen those two plays as Jair Alexander's fault, as I did see the 55 yard Justin Fields touchdown run as Keyshawn Nixon's fault, not Joe Barry's. I mean, he put those guys in a position to win, 
just like he did in Washington, and uh, and they didn't win. It's that simple. So now you could say that's the coach's fault for not preparing the players properly. That could be the case, right? That definitely could be the case. But I don't feel comfortable enough passing that blame onto the coaches and say, well, they just didn't do enough to prepare them when someone is getting paid $20 million a year, former pro bowler, and they like to run around on the field, you know, pretending like they're swinging a sword around and and uh, celebrating every time somebody makes an eight-yard gain on them, but they made a tackle. I think it's just silly. I do. So, um, again, it all comes back to culture. Maybe a culture change needs to happen in Green Bay. But nonetheless, I agree with you, Jake. Um, I didn't see that. We can agree to disagree on it, you know, us and, and those folks. Hey, look, they're free to believe what they want to believe. Um, you're just not going to convince convince me that that wasn't Jair Alexander being too aggressive on those two plays. Coach Hahn agreed. Coach Hahn's accused him of playing hero ball as well. Um, you know, not accused him, but just pointing out, like, yeah, this is kind of the equivalent to what people refer to Aaron Rodgers as playing hero ball, just wanting to wing it around sometimes. That's kind of the, uh, the equivalent there with DBs jumping routes and not playing within the scheme. Um, it's basically saying I'm more important than my teammates. Here, I'm going to go make me a play. I don't care that this makes this puts us in a vulnerable state deep, right? And, again, Joe Barry may have told Jair Alexander, look, forget your assignment. I want you to be aggressive. Use your instincts all game. That could have been the case, right? That could have been the case. The thing that bothers me, and I'm going to wrap up here, though, is that when they blow the coverage, you don't hear them going to bat for Barry, and that really bothers me. If If I blew a coverage – and I knew, and you know these players darn sure know, that the talk out there is they, they, you know, we need to fire Joe Barry, we need to fire Joe Barry. If I blew a coverage, I would be the first person in front of that microphone going, hey, that was my fault. Coach Barry called a great scheme, and I screwed it up. And it bothers me that he doesn't do that. Instead, he immediately deflects the blame onto, I'm going to insult the receiver that burned me and call him a scrub. That's just silly, man. That's silly. It's immature. It's it's complete void of leadership. Um, I, I just don't see it that way. So anyway, that's it, guys. We're going to get out of here. I'm struggling to breathe. You're probably tired of hearing me sniffle, <laughs> but I appreciate you taking time to hang out with us here on a Saturday afternoon. Hope you enjoyed the interview with uh, Ellie Leonard. I'm going to try to splice everything together, do it all in, in one orderly fashion. Hopefully everything comes together. If you don't hear the interview and you're going, I didn't hear that interview, what's he talking about? It means there was some kind of error with the audio file, but fingers crossed that by the time you've heard this, you go, no, Clayton, you did it, man. You patched it together. And again, it was just a brief interview. Appreciate her time. And you guys make sure you go give her a follow. When I tweet this podcast out, if you're on Twitter, I'm going to tag her in it. Go give her a follow, show her some love because it's pretty darn cool that she went into that just to work on a documentary and came out and said, I've got to have a stock. I've got to be a Green Bay Packers stockholder. That's pretty cool. Pretty, uh, it's it's a it's a testament to all of those fans that had the the stock drives that she mentioned in the interview over the years to keep the Packers afloat. It's a testament to all the Packer fans that made it through the 50s, that made it through the 70s and the 80s and the times when the team wasn't that good. But you guys held the flag high. You kept the tradition going so that we could get the better times. And now everybody hearing my voice right now, especially the younger crowd, um, you know, people that are my age and younger, right? Um, it's our responsibility in these down years to do exactly what they did in the 70s and 80s and do exactly what they did in the 50s when this team struggled. Yes, it's okay to point out the negatives, and we all want to learn and grow and get better. And we want the team to get better. We want to get better as fans, all those things. 
but it's very important that we keep the morale at a certain level, that we don't embarrass ourselves as Packer fans, walking around, moping around, crying all the time, right? It's it's important that you support the team and get them through these hard times, right? Don't be a sunshine soldier, as Thomas Paine once said, right? Don't be a sunshine soldier. They'll disappear when the times get tough, right? It's who's going to carry the flag, who's going to you know uh, lift up other Packer fans when they have a down year, and let's let's watch the team grow and get better, and let's get better as fans. So appreciate you guys' time. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.